Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley. Welcome to the Real P3 Podcast, brought to you by the Sunswine Group and Swine Nutrition Management. Hello to my Real P3 audience. I know you all love it when the co-founders get together on an episode for the podcast. That is what we did for this episode. We did not create any quarterly updates, but wanted to bring it back. On this episode, we discuss poor market conditions and changes in ingredient pricing. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome back to The Real P3. It's been a while since the three of us have been on a call. So I have on here my good friends and partners on The Real P3, Philip and Willem. So welcome, gentlemen. Good morning, Casey. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Well, I was going to say it's my morning here in the U.S., but it's mm-hmm. almost beer 30 where you are, I think. <laughs> and I'm sitting with a jacket and I can clearly see you sitting in an aircon office. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's at vastly different temperatures. I don't know what Philip's facing in the Netherlands, yeah, but it's, it's miserable. It's nice summer time, so uh, we are <laughs> enjoying the nice sun and the weather. <laughs> <laughs> so after a long week, it feels that beer time is already past. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the uh, the beer 30 as well, because then it solidifies I'm going to be on vacation. So I'm looking forward to that. But the audience really loved what we did, the quarterly updates, the biannual updates, and we haven't been able to do that. Obviously, we have a different structure and we've relaunched and we're looking at even additional changes and keeping it fresh and real is what the Real P3 is all about and focusing on production and producers and helping them. So what is going on in, let's start with Willem, Africa, A, and, you know, kind of in your mind, tell us what's going on in the, the swine industry, agriculture, maybe in general, there where you are. Yeah, it's our winter time, which makes a different, most likely same as your winter time. So we're just getting the new crop of maize is more or less in. We will have a record this year. We hope, or that's so far the, the saying, or at least the, the information we get back. So we have amazing good crop. With that, also coming good maize prices. I managed to get our, our maize price went down quite dramatically in the last couple of months, which is not good for the crop farmer, but for sure made a huge different difference for, for us in the profitability of raising pigs, which maize is still a key component in all our diets, very similar to new Casey. So maize prices went down dramatically. It's not good for the crop farmers because this harvest went in at record high fertilizer prices and everybody said, let's do it. And prices are good and, and we'll manage to get it back and manage the price went down quite a lot. So that's not good for them. So those farmers are not having having a good season. But for us, it's at least for sure helping. Our prices are very stable and very low, record low prices for this time of the year. So if you look at the profitability of our of our industry is actually a, a huge concern to the extent where it's it's okay if you don't have good times for one or two months, but if you have you didn't have good times for the last six years, then it becomes a bit more difficult. So I see a lot more of our farmers, especially the smaller family farms, they're getting tired of subsidizing the pig business with their corn and with uh, with their cattle. So you see a lot of guys just closing shop, which is not good. Which is not good for us. 
bigger guys are always getting bigger. Margins are still tight, but they manage to, especially the bigger guys that's integrated, they keep on growing. But even then, it's not easy. I spoke with a, a relative small integrator the other day, and he told me that this the week that I was there visiting them, he said this is the first first week in months that they're actually making money throughout the whole chain. So it's not that they're pocketing in one side of the business and losing on the other side. It's just throughout things are tough. So we'll see. We'll see how it go. It's for sure not easy times. But I always say that's the being a nutritionist to we stick with the guys when times are tough and it's our job to see, make sure that our clients get through, make sure that we get the cost prices down, understand where we make money in the business and when we need to push what, how to get people out on the other side. If if times are good, then we try to, to help guys to make more money. Either way, we're busy. <laughs> so before we jump over to Europe, Willem, I'm just curious on corn quality. That's always been a problem for you. High microtoxins, things like that. And because of wet or different conditions mm-hmm. like what we're having now with the, the deluge here. <laughs> So what does that look like on the quality components of the corn for you guys this year? Farmers are, the crop farmers are also getting smarter, Casey. We, I always say, and it's been a discussion for the last couple of years, we need to remember we produce yellow maize for only one reason, and that's to feed animals. So it's not just about yields. It's not just about how much ton can produce per hectare. It is about quality. And if you, in the end of the day, have to have all these issues that we're dealing with, with bad quality of corn, bad performance, have to add a lot of additional mycotoxin binders and all of that, just looking at the performance, then, I mean, you're chasing the wrong parameters, in my opinion. And a lot of the farmers, and we need to realize at least 70, I made, made an estimate the other day, about 70% of, of my farms that's farming pigs are producing their own maize. So they've, they produce maize for the sole purpose to feed the pigs. So, and I think for sure in the last couple of years, there's been a big mind mind shift in this and say, okay, it's not about how much ton I produce. It's about how much quality of product I'm producing. And that includes nutritional values because the, a lot of the guys, if you look at the protein values and just working here with a producer that I have an NIR machine and we pulled up data for the last say, seven years. If you look at the difference year on year, what's happening, and they were chasing purely yields and the nutritional value of, despite the quality, the nutritional value is, uh, is a bit of a concern because every year we need to bring in extra trucks of soybean meal because the protein of the maize is just getting worse and worse and worse. We started up with almost close to 9% and most of the farmers are running now 6.5% corn. So you can imagine that 2 or 3% different, how much extra soybean meal you need to bring in just to compensate to be on the same level. And soybean meal have been have been record high prices the last couple of months. It's, it's going down now, but but still they, they have a huge effect on how we formulate these diets. But I have to say farmers are getting smarter. They start realizing it. Uh, there's been a shift. It's interesting. A lot of guys are moving a little bit of a way or doing a good rotation on, on zero tilling. So it's not purely zero tilling anymore. The rotational crops, they they need X amount of maize. I've always been planting maize, but you see a bit more rotation happening with soybean meal and other crops as well, which help tremendously. Different varieties, we start picking up that some varieties are more sensitive than other varieties. And it's interesting, I took I walked through a field the other day, and again, I'm not a specialist, and, um, and especially not on, crop, on the cropping side. 
but I walked the field and I looked at the one field and all all the maize were very close to, to being harvested. Yeah. And the, all the the one side of the field, all the cops were standing upside or they were facing upwards, let's say it like this. And the field next door, all the cops were, were facing downwards. And I said, why is that? And if you go and then you'll see then the number of cops on the plant on the ones all going downwards were way less. So the, the cops were heavier and they were very quickly because of the weight, whatever the reason might be, it starts falling downwards. So especially this time of the year, we have a lot of mist coming in in the mornings, a lot of moisture. And you could see the difference. All the cops have small, the, the plants with more cops on, smaller cops were all still, they didn't fall down. They were all facing upwards. And if you would open open the leaves, you'll see that there's, that the amount of moisture still in those cups were significantly higher than the ones that's already falling down. It makes sense in a way because a little bit of light rains and the mist in the mornings, that moisture goes and, and, and goes in on the top because it starts opening up, it's going in. If you look at the cups all falling down or already falling down or facing downwards, I mean, they were a huge difference. So I took a lot of samples on the one side and a lot of samples on the different sides, not very scientific, but there were a big difference in, in, in the vomit toxin levels between those two fields. They were next to each other, same fertilization level, same rainfall. Everything was exactly the same. It was purely cultivar. So, and then we start picking these kind of things up and say, okay, again, ultimately we're producing maize for animals. So we need to make sure that we're doing, making the right decisions and, and planting the right cultivars under the right conditions and the right cropping procedures to get that off. So, yeah, and early season versus late season. See, guys, we traditionally in South Africa have a problem because we we have the big advantage of having the sun. So sun dries our maize. We don't dry our maize off the fields. So maize are getting dried on the fields and we harvest at 12, 13% moisture. But we've seen if you leave it for that long in the field, we do have more issues. The guys that planting an early, early cultivar, um, getting in a little bit sooner, investing in a dryer, suddenly the maize quality is just much better. Because if you keep that maize on the field for an extra month or two to get it dried by, by the sun to save money, question is if you're really saving money if you need to use two kilos of toxin binder in a diet. So, no, I agree. Anyway. It sounds like a lot of the work that I have done with, you know, the trial I did a long time ago with New Fashion Pork, we look at different cultivars or genetic strains and we found you know value for yield but it wasn't value for the pig and then you kind of you have to price that out as a grain farmer is yield more important and sometimes it balanced you had to find those in the middle right they gave you not the best yield but good yield but also good quality oh, for good. the animals and then you know pioneer dupont and all them were talking about trying to improve the genetics because of the toxin issues and what you exactly talked about. So that's really intriguing to see that change happening across the world and in, in providing better corn for our animals. Can I ask a question about the U.S.? How is that working for the U.S. integration? Is then land and crops also integrated or most of the time not? Well, when we talk about the integrated market in the U.S., I would say the large guys, the seaboards, the Smithfields of the world don't own their own crops. They may contract out with producers and get pricing right at the beginning of the season. But we look at our smaller independent guys and, you know, market conditions aren't any more favorable here. It, it's not you know good right now for the swine market. Everybody's, you know, talking about that. 
But what's interesting is working with these independent producers, working more on the niche marketing side of things is that diversification that you talked about. So I can use Andy White for an example at Rolling Metal Farms. He is my strategic partner on sow research. So I conduct sow research on his farm. And he said the way his family has been able to survive is that diversification of the crop side and having enough acres. As you said, you know, the you hated subsidizing your pigs with your corn, right? Well, this year your pigs potentially in South Africa will subsidize your corn. And, you know, that's his feelings that he, you know, he said that it helps me survive. That's why I can survive my operation. But that's also why he's looking at research because he's like, I'm independent. I control my entire flow. What's the next level of diversification that I can do to maintain those profit levels? And there's probably always going to be a need for sour research, nursery research. Why not have the opportunity to do it on a commercially relevant farm with top performance to really see if these strategies work and you know that is the type of producer i work with they are looking to diversify a lot of them don't know how to it's interesting you talk about diversification with the cattle and and i find that interesting because you look at the traditional american farm and we would have a couple species as well right cattle beef cattle my brother runs beef cattle. He doesn't have any pigs, but crops. Um, he has more of a diversified crop operation than most, you know, from hay to soybean meal, wheat, corn, all that kind of stuff. But it, it's interesting that, you know, you see a lot of consolidation and going bigger, but I think there's going to become a breaking point to where if these independent producers who aren't leveraged as high can really diversify and find other opportunities for their system to make them money, I think that's going to be important. And that's kind of why the niche marketing interviewed Jim Smith last month, month uh, Kent Nutrition doing a Berkshire nutrition program. And everybody's like, the pork consumption's down, but the niche higher cost pork consumption is going up. So they want a more tasty pork chop. They want to know the farmer. They want to know the you know have higher animal welfare and regardless of laws we've been fighting this prop 12 for so long in the u.s and it's here which i was going to say to me it's going to be here let's just come up with a, a priority of how we're going to work in that environment and you know some of these niche guys i think are going to come out on top now that the supreme court ruled and all these states can put all these different requirements in and Soon after that ruling, New Jersey passed their law to match California. It's interesting that producers across, I think, the world are not really different. But, Philip, kind of turning it over to you, your producers in your country and other parts of Europe are facing a lot more challenges from the political front on the environment. Yeah, we have a couple of similar concerns, but also complete different market than what you describe at the moment. If you look at concerns that is similar, is for example, consumption of pork. And if you look at why we are concerned about consumption of pork, is especially if you look at meat consumption, then pork is in, in Northwest Europe the preferred 
meat. So, so and especially now we have summertime and our barbecues out, pork is going up consumption. Why are we concerned is actually because pork is actually an all meat, but especially pork is getting really expensive. And with inflation going on for the consumers, actually, can they still afford actually to buy their meat? So, so that is actually why we are concerned about pork consumption at the moment. And the reason for that, if you look at prices for, for pork on, on farm level, it's above 2.5 euro per kilo at the moment. And that's already in that area for a while. So if you look at prices for, for pork, is amazing high. I've never ever seen that in my life. So if you look at, at prices, really, really good for, for pork and for piglets. So the farmers are, are actually really making money at the moment. And it was also necessary because we had a couple of very, very difficult years. But this year is actually a very good year, although the prices of cereals are and, and, and feed is actually relative high. On the other hand, if you compare current prices for cereals with two years ago, then they are on a similar levels. And I think if you look at the current market, it's a bit a market of, of extremes, I would say, or highly, highly volatile. If you look at Southern Europe, temperatures above 35 degrees, 40 degrees. So it's super hot at, at the moment in, in, in the south of Europe. Over here, it's actually nice and, and, and a good summertime. In most areas, we have had enough rain. So production of wheat and barley has, has been good in, in most areas. And they are in the middle of the harvest now. Uh, barley is almost done. Wheat is, is uh, they are busy with the harvest. Yeah, that looks quite good. On the other hand, if you look at the risk for, for the cereals, is actually that, that yeah, we still have the war between Russia and Ukraine. So the grain deal is just cancelled this week. So what's going to happen this week with the export from cereals from Ukraine and, and Russia? If, if that stops, and there is a high risk that it stops, then actually the only thing that can happen is that the prices of cereals are going up again. So I think volatility, a market of extremes, that is the case. So at this moment, farmers should manage their risks. What are your risks? There is a high potential for profit, but there is also big risks. And I think what farmers are focusing on is trying to improve feed efficiency, lowering the feed cost per kilo gain, make sure that your mortality is low as possible. That is the, where the farmers are really busy with at the moment. So getting the results there, getting the gains, getting the mortalities down. If you look on the other hand, and that's also extreme, if you look at the market for milk products, the milk products are in Europe at this moment actually relative cheap. They are on prices of, of a five-year average. Cereals are much more expensive than the five-year average. Milk products are actually on a five-year average. So it is interesting to feed good quality products over here to your piglets. Keep them alive, make them grow, get them started and make your growth efficient. Improve your uniformity via that. So 
starter diets, it's the time that people invest in starter diets. If I look at my milk products that I sell, people are interested to buy milk products to get a better start for your piglets, to make sure that if you have a high prolific sows and and big litters, that also your piglets will still survive. So that is where, where the farmers over here are really busy with. The Sunswine Group is a group of animal and data scientists that provide nutritional research and data analytics tools and consulting services. Don't let the name fool you, though. We have experience and expertise in both poultry and rabbit production systems, as well as swine. Our goal is to help producers and the industry improve their systems through unbiased eyes and maximize data-driven decisions. To learn more about the Sunswine Group or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thesunswinegroup.com. Also, we'd love to hear about what you think about the new podcast as well and some of our topics you would like to hear. Or if you'd like to sponsor an episode or series, send us a message on LinkedIn. This is really interesting and different perspectives from a nutrition standpoint and When I look at nutrition, I'm kind of, with the current customers I work with, I'm kind of strapped on what I can use and the cost of it being a non-GMO organic type feeds. And, you know, we still struggle with quality of ingredients in that niche market where the integrators that I I communicate with and, and talk with and my friends, they have a little bit better. But, you know, something else going on in our market and I know it's global because I did hear, uh, you know, DSM, and I'm I can't pronounce the new name right. The addition of DSM's new company, but uh, a lot of good, <laughs> yeah, there you go. A lot of my good friends have lost their jobs because of cuts, mm. and we're hearing a lot of that because the pork market's so bad. You know, Wilma and I's business is probably not so good. <laughs> you know, we're having that issue because budgets are cut. People like to do research, but because nobody's looking at new investments or looking at good alternatives and what you're saying, Philip, from the standpoint of nursery diets and milk products, well, now it's really interesting how people plan the research because now everybody a year ago wanted sow research. They don't have the money because of the market. And now everybody's calling me for nursery research because that's probably what you're talking about. Let's get them off to a good start. Let's keep what we have alive and keep moving. But where do you see this also from in industry? Because we work in the allied or service business, right? We support. Are you seeing some of the same trends of cuts, changes to kind of offset? You had two bad years. You know, it's good. We always complain we don't have enough staff on the farm, but, you know, I even see that maybe we don't want to fill some of these positions because of the profitability. If you look at the stock market, the easy advice is always if you want to make money on the stock market is you buy cheap and you sell high. And and it's as easy as that. And it's, of course, the most simple advice. And I think also this is valid for, for the pork market. If prices are low and profit is low, actually, that is the time where you should invest in research and development. And I know it's super difficult, but that was also my advice on the stock market was was actually a simple advice. And everybody knows that it works. But if you do your research in a difficult time, then you're ready when the good times are there. 
And if you do it the other way around, then actually you're always too late. Oh, yeah, you're saying the same thing that I would. It's just like we make these knee-jerk reactions, and it comes from a lot of these publicly traded companies that answer to stockholders, and then we have you know, managers and companies and directors that don't understand the market. Like they don't understand it from the producer level up and they don't understand from a research standpoint of if I'm going to run a sow trial and I need two or three sow trials and I need to run two or three parodies, that's a three-year commitment. Yeah. And, and, and already the pipeline between the birth of a piglet and the sell of that same piglet, it's six months. What you do now on your investment that has influence on, on pigs that you sell in six months from now. So so how do you do that in the right way? It, it's, should we invest in a cyclic or, or anti-cyclic? Huh? That, that is, yeah, I think that's super interesting discussions that you have with your, your customers and how you want to do this in the best way possible. And that's kind of where, like in your standpoint, yeah, markets are bad, but let's invest the money in a good sow diet. And I work with multi-species. So in your reproductive animals, invest money there. Don't shortchange that. And then that starter ration, you know, get them off. And then you can look at more byproducts or a lower energy diets and but really if you, help shape If you that. try to make your guilt diets, your sow diets, and your piglet diets cheaper in the difficult times, I think you are really on the wrong path. Yeah. And if, if you say, okay, try to save money on, on cost per kilo gain for, for grower finishers, for sure you should do that. But you should always do that. Yeah. And it's just another example of, you know, sales. And let's just cut the team and, you know, we'll be fine. And it's so funny that as I try to talk to companies coming into the North America market, it's people buy from people. A lot of companies come to me to see if I can help them. As I tell them, some of these international companies, they just don't get it. They just don't buy from Casey. It's a one to two year sales process. And I look at these companies making this difficult decisions where good people are getting cut that have good relationships. It took them a year, two years to build that relationship. They're starting to see that slow turn. And I think, it, you know, it's both sides of our industry. The pork producers, we need to invest and get them off to a good start. Don't hurt your sow herd. You're exactly right, because that's going to hurt you when we are profitable. Yep. And the same on you know the business front and i mean i guess willem how are you telling your guys as to weather the storm obviously europe's come out of it but you know our customers are facing tough times i see a bit of light in the end of the tunnel but that light need to come fast <laughs> so no it's tough i'm sitting with short one of my top producers <laughs> yeah philip and that's what i'm saying is that that light can, can't come quicker now so we are positive and we stay positive, but sitting with the producer the other day and he's, he's a farmer, but he's also an accountant. So I think that's normally the, the right way of doing. You first need to become an accountant when you start thinking about pig farming. Anyway, so he's an accountant and he showed me some of the numbers that they had to produce for a board meeting. And he focused on margin over feed costs. So looking at all the meat sold off the farm and my minus is feed bill. And he started off three 
six years ago with about 60%. So they had 60% of that money left that they can pay their bills and, and hopefully earn something of it. So that went down year by year with 10 to 15%. And this year they're sitting on 20%. So that went from 60 to 20% in five, call it five years. So that's scary. That's absolutely scary. So as I said, it's you can you can do it for a month or two and and we love to complain when the pork price is low. But if you have to do that for six years in a row, it's not funny anymore. And it's it seems not to get easier. We see genetics are making a huge difference. We have absolutely top genetics in locally and being distributed coming in from Europe and it seems that the genetic lag, we always complained. We had a bit of a genetic lag being here in the southern part of the world, but it's it's disappearing. If I look at the performance levels and what the guys are achieving, it's world class. If I look at the reproduction side on the south, if I look at our finishing gains, if I look at our feed conversions, we can compete here with anyone around the world, if not some of the best results. And I do. I work in Canada. I look at those guys' results. I, I mean, of course, me and Philip is in business together. I know what's going on in Europe. and. Same with some of the guys in the U.S. we work with. We can compete with anyone from a production point of view. So one of the strategies to say, can we make it work? Yeah, improve your production results. So of course it is, but we are having really top top farms. One thing we can be proud of in South Africa and that we we really fight to keep like that. We are very healthy country despite all warthogs running around with ASF all over the country. And we managed to farm between all of those picks. And we still keep relative low places of ASF. Um, that's one thing, but we don't have PERS. We don't have it in the country. So we don't have PED. It doesn't exist here. Much wood, hopefully never. But we, we, if you look at our mortalities, most of my farms are running a wiener to grow finish mortality of 4 to 5%. That's from a pick is being weaned at 28 days until it's being slaughtered at 23 weeks of age. So, and then we're talking about mortalities of four to five percent. I mean, where in the world do you get do you get these kind of numbers? And that's the stuff that we have. That's what we do. High number win winning numbers. So, from a production side of things, we've never been better, and we keep on getting better with with getting the genetics. And we've managed to, with our relative good grains in the last year or two, and with good genetics and all of this, we still somehow we just struggle. And I think Philip hit, hit the nail on the head. Um, if you look at our food inflation, we're a very poor country with a lot of people living under the, the poverty line. There's no money for meat. There's no money for, for the, it's a luxury item. If uh, our, our food inflation is now on a 14-year high, and we're sitting on for the last couple of months with 14% on food inflation, that's crazy. It, it is absolutely crazy. And the second thing is if you look at interest rates, Interest rates for, for a normal family have to pay a house loan and have to pay the car loan. And um, I mean, I'm just looking at my little house loan, what happened in the last couple of um, just over a six months year period. There's a lot of money out of my salary that I don't know where it went and it went all back to the bank that you just don't have, that you just don't have. So you need to be very careful in what you buy and where you buy. Yeah, not even thinking about niche and being picky. Most families are grateful to have meat on the table two times a week, where it's always been six, seven times a week. So that's why I'm saying it's it's we're doing well. We're doing, but people just don't have money in pocket anymore to be able to afford a luxurious item like meat in, in the end of the day. So, and I think that's where we are. And um, it's not a nice place to be, and it's not something that 
you can quickly just turn around. And that is what the U.S. and sounds like Europe will be facing. And everybody doesn't see that. Our pork consumption, I think, is down because of that money, right? So if chicken can stay cheaper or alternatively, they're not going to eat pork. And then you see restaurants not being able, you know, if they wanted to have a cheaper menu item, they're not putting it on the menu. I don't see as many, and I haven't ate out as much because we're watching our budget too, much bacon. So on different menu options where everything used to be covered in bacon and now you're seeing different sandwiches with more like avocado or vegetables or playing on different like Asian themes to get that going. So I think that is a challenge that we are going to face as a global protein market is, is that right. We have people who can still afford to pay whatever, but we have a lot of people that we rely on that are struggling. Yeah. I think for me, that is a big concern. If I look at figures about meat consumption in in, uh, Western Europe, then actually in the last 10 years and maybe even longer, but for sure in the last 10 years, we are already discussing about environment and that meat has a big footprint. We are talking about welfare of the animals and we are creating extra rules and that brings the cost price up. If you look at the figures about meat consumption, people are talking about it. It's every day in the newspaper. Meat consumption is stable in the last 10 years. It's it's not going down, although we are discussing this already for, for 10 years. I'm concerned now because I think inflation is actually putting a lot of pressure on what money do we have in our wallets and what can we buy. Like what Willem said was just yesterday here on on the news is actually said, yeah, food inflation is actually not that high anymore. That was how it was presented. And what did they mean in figures is actually it was not 20% anymore. It was only 10% that the prices are going up on the food side. 10% 10% going up. Huh? So if, if you look at that, then, then yeah, it, it's how it's presented. It's, it's presented in a nice way, but actually it's, it's, it's ridiculous. If you go to the supermarket and, and do your shopping, how much money you spend on food nowadays. Well, I think that's a good spot to leave our audience for the month of August. We are going to be back together more. I'm hoping we can make this maybe even monthly because I think, Insights from around the world are really important and it doesn't matter if you're a producer listening to this or you work in the allied industry listening to this. We know we're all impacted by this and we all need to come together for the right solutions and ultimately maybe weather the storm together. All right. Good. Have a Thank great you. day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. Before we go... If you love our podcast, it would be super helpful to us if you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred streaming service. I also evaluated our new metrics, and we will be going back to releasing our podcast weekly, even though they will be part of a series over multiple weeks. If you have any topics or guests you want to recommend, please shoot me a message at casey.bradley at the Sunswine Group or connect with my team on your social media platform of your choice. And as always, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me.